Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to start our Bible study, our weekly online church service where we spend time with the Lord through worshiping Him. We pray together and uh, hopefully connect a little bit um, uh, and also hear from the Lord and study His Word. So we are going to be in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10 today as we scream through Jonah at a very, very quick pace. Uh, so that's what that's where we're going to be at today. Uh, the title for today's sermon is Whose Are You? Whose Are You? Uh, again, Jonah chapter 1 verses 7 through 10 as we study through the book of Jonah. So let's go ahead and pray as we get into uh, God's word and we, we start looking at what he would maybe have for us today. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you care about each one of us individually. I thank you that you don't just uh, ignore our sin, but you cast it away as far as the east is from the west. You pay the penalty for all our sin. And Jesus, Lord Jesus, we put you on. Uh, by faith, we repent and turn away from our self-centered life. And we turn to you. We want to live our lives for you. Uh, and we want to receive your grace, your help, to live lives that honor you and, and to do your will. I thank you for this book and how Jonah is such a wonderful lesson for us. And I pray that we would have open hearts uh, to, to be able to understand in our, in our soul uh, what you are wanting to speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Tell me about your greatest weakness. Don't you hate that question? Have you ever been in an interview and, and gotten that question? Who... Tell me, who expects you to really answer that question truthfully? How would you even answer that? You know, so, you know, it might be like this. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I'd rather not. I really need this job. <laughs> if I really told you about who I am, um, you probably wouldn't hire me or what my greatest weaknesses are. Uh, some people have answered that question. I just, I care too much. I try too hard, and I'm too invested in my job. And when they look at you kind of funny, you say, my weaknesses are actually strengths. Um, another funny question that, that is asked sometimes is, with so many good candidates, why should I hire you? And I think the best way to answer that one is to, to answer a question with a question, you know? So you can say, uh, with so many good companies, why should I work here? <laughs> Um, how about this question? What would your last boss say? What would your last boss say about you? And my answer to that would be, he doesn't work here anymore. Or there's this question, where do you see yourself in five years? And being a smart aleck, I would say, I'll see myself in a mirror. Another famous question that trips us up in job interviews or just in regular relationships is, so tell me about yourself. 
tell me about yourself. It's a common question, but we bomb it all the time. We fail uh, to really answer it in a way that is helpful to our interviews, probably because um, we have a really hard time actually knowing ourselves. Uh, but today, we are going to understand, we're going to learn about our identity and how important it is to our lives, both uh, our, our normal life and our spiritual lives. So, who are you? What is your identity? I know we all love talking about ourselves, so this is a great chance to talk about yourself. I always struggle to explain my identity at first. When, I, when I'm first getting into a relationship or a conversation, you know, at the, when I'm just getting to know somebody, I have a hard time because I think in my mind I get kind of overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm almost 40 years old and how do I explain all the content of those 40 years to someone I just met? Um, I always struggle to explain my identity, but it explains, or excuse me, it depends on who I've been listening to recently also. If I listen to some people, I'm a terrible person. If I listen to others, I'm the greatest. If I listen to how I think or how I feel, it goes up and down all the time. But there is someone else that is willing to speak to me, someone that is willing to give me truth if I am willing to listen. So how I'm going to express myself, how I'm going, who, who I really believe I am is going to vary depending on who I'm listening to. If I'm listening to outside uh, people or others' opinions or my own opinions, it can, it can be very, you know, really varied. But if I listen to what God says, he actually knows truth and it can help me greatly. God has written a huge letter to me filled with identity-forming content. And that's the Bible. He not only informs me of who I am, he lovingly offers to work with me and stand by me and provide for all my flaws and brokenness and weakness. He really offers me a new identity as well as to anyone who would recognize their need for that. So we're going to talk a lot about identity. But first, before we get into the identity part of today's message, I want to talk about random chance or chaos. You got, you remember the game Trouble? There's a like a Minions version of the game Trouble where you have the poppy thing in the middle, you push down on it. Well, inside that poppy thing is a, uh, a randomized dice, you know, a, a, a die that's supposed to give you a perfectly random chances at rolling different numbers. So let's go ahead and get into our text and then we'll talk about random chance. Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. We'll just get started there. And they said to one another, Come, 
Let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So the narrative, our story is running, it's, it's going pretty quick. What we know is that God called Jonah to go uh, take a message of his forgiveness, love, mercy to the Assyrians who lived in Nineveh. Jonah rejected that, said, I'm not going to go. And he got, he went down to Joppa. He boarded a boat sailing to Tarshish, the other side of the world. He did not want to go. So God sent a giant storm, a supernatural storm, when he got on the boat out into the sea. And so that's where we're at right now. All of the pagan sailors are casting lots. Now that's an a ancient um, practice. Uh, it was either done with dice or with uh, you know sticks, and they would write each person's name on the sticks, and they would pull out the one, uh, and they would. Um, it was a common way to inquire of God. And the pagan sailors recognize that God is behind this storm. It's clearly supernatural. So they ask him to show them who has sinned. And if you really think about it, this is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. These pagans who do not know God, they don't serve God. They believe in many false gods, but they are able to trust that there is some supreme being out there who controls everything, even the dice or the lot, the lots, right? They are admitting that they are not in control. How about that? These pagan sailors are admitting that they're not in control, and that is an act of humility. Storms have a way of breaking our sense of self-confidence, or you could say pride, don't they? Storms have a way of breaking our pride. And if you've been with us as a church very long, you've heard that self-confidence or pride is the worst thing we can have. It keeps us away from the grace that God wants to freely give us. See, God can, can only give grace to those who are humble. He says he will give grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. The humble are those people who recognize their need for his help. They ask for his help. That's an act of humility. Self-confidence is pride, and so God hates pride. God stands against pride. God rejects the person who will have a prideful heart or attitude. Because God can't, it's not just that God is, is mean about it, or he's chosen that, or he wants you to feel bad about yourself. It's because pride, he can't help that person. When a person is operating in pride, he is prohibited from helping them. For they refuse to ask for his help. They refuse to need his help. They hold God out at arm's length and said, I got this. Watch me go. I don't need you. I don't want you. And so that's why God hates pride so much. Because it, um, 
it, it keeps people from receiving the grace that he wants to give them, the help that he wants to give them. Today, in our culture, in our world, there is a terrible lie being shoved down our throats. And this lie is that storms are random chance. That things just happen in life. That nobody can be in control. It's the universe is against me. The universe is mean and heartless. Fate is cruel. There is no God in charge of everything and every event. And if there is, he's mean and cruel. And this lie, that is a lie, by the way, because God is in control. This lie uh, makes life scary causes us fear because death could come at any moment and nobody can stop it. And this makes us not only fearful, but depressed. How does life make any sense when it's completely random? There's no purpose or reason out there and those are very depressing and fearful um, ideas. It's just math. It's just Dr. Malcolm and his cool leather jackets and chaos theory. This lie that bad things just happen randomly makes a heartless and mindless fate to be God. But that's not God. When we believe that God, our God, the God of the Bible, the real God, is in control of everything, it is greatly healing. It is wonderful. Why? Because God, he doesn't act with randomness at all. There's never randomness in his actions. God's character governs everything he does, and he goes to great lengths to explain his character to us, the kind of person he is. He explains that he is kind, loving, uh, tender, faithful. He never lets anything happen that's not part of the plan. His character is proven and explained to us through the pages of Scripture. His own, and the Scripture is his own revelation of himself. And as you spend time getting to know him in the Bible, you will see that there is never random chance in anything. But God is in complete control. He is love. And he is holy. Those two attributes, those two character traits, are the two main ones that we can, we can look at, at least for this study for today. These two attributes are so incredibly comforting and healing when we are going through storms. 
These unexpected storms of life happen. They're unexpected to us, but we can rest knowing that they were not unexpected to God. Even though the enemy plants thoughts in our minds that says, the, you know, God has let you down because of the cancer, because of the accidents, because of the death. But that's simply not true. God's loving, holy character attributes never cease to be. He is perfectly loving and perfectly holy. You see, if I know and understand that God is love, and I know that he loves me, then I know that I am not his enemy. He is not trying to destroy me. Why am I not his enemy? Because of the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus took me from being his enemy to being his, not just his friend, but his beloved son or daughter, redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we know because of his love that he is working out all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That it's a verse and a promise that we can hang on to during these storms. Every storm is just his chosen instrument to transform me because he loves me. He's invested in me and these storms are never to destroy me. They are for my good. The second attribute of his holiness. God is holy, and that means he can never do anything that is not perfect or perfectly right. It's impossible. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't, things don't fall through his fingers. He is holy. It's impossible for him to forget us or make a mistake. He doesn't make mistakes. People struggle with this only when they don't understand who God really is. His love and goodness combined with his holiness mean that we can trust him in the storms that we go through. And we can trust that these storms are not random chance. I hate that term. There is no random chance. God is in control of everything. And his love and his holiness safeguard me from the lies of the enemy that want me to think that there is some mean, cruel, heartless fate in charge of the universe. The author of Jonah that we're reading and studying right now, he confirms that God is in control of absolutely everything And the sailors, and even Jonah, agree with that statement. So now, these sailors need to find out why God is so mad at Jonah. What is going on with this strange passenger? So they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause this trouble is upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid 
and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So the pagan sailors begin to pepper Jonah with questions. They want to know why God is angry and has sent the storm. So they ask Jonah about three things. And we're going we're gonna to really study and zero in on these three things that they talk about. Number one, his occupation. This is the same as his mission. Jonah, what's your occupation? What do you do? What's your mission? Or what is your purpose, you could say? Okay, we're going to study that. Number two, they ask where he came from. Or what land is he from? Or the geography that he is from you know where he feels comfortable there and and the third thing they ask about is his people and his race these are identity questions they are basically asking in a very uh direct way who are you who are you jonah uh so let's break down each of those three questions and see what they what they're really asking first they ask what's your occupation jonah and, and that's they're asking about his mission or his purpose. What's your meaning? Uh, what do you do and why do you do what you do, Jonah? Why are you alive and why are you here? Now, take that into, uh, into our life. When someone asks you who you are, this is a great way to think. This is a great way to start expanding uh, an answer or explaining an answer. What is your purpose? that's the real question that is that people want to know about you what is your purpose and we're going to learn through this study today that the gospel of Jesus Christ it forms it gives us our purpose it helps us to have a purpose some people have a real clear purpose my purpose is to win the Super Bowl or whatever but as believers we have a great high purpose and that is to know God and to make him known among the world. Uh, it's very clear. Knowing God first, he wants a personal relationship with us, and then expanding his kingdom by bringing that message of grace and love to the entire world. Being in God's family and growing God's family. So that would be our purpose. And we're going to hit that more at the end. Uh, but they want to know Jonah's meaning, purpose, and mission. Number two, they want to know where he came from, what, what land he lived in, and, and the geography. They, this is the physical space where you feel comfortable. Um, you know, we, in our day and age, we would answer this question by saying, I'm American, or I'm Chinese, or I'm Haitian. And as, you know, the, for me as an American to go to Haiti is an uncomfortable uh, experience. Everything is very, very, very different. And when you go on mission trips, you, you, you have to do some training before you go about cultural differences and how it can be different in the land. Well, um, hundreds of years ago, that was only much, much, much greater when they really didn't know much about different cultures because there wasn't the internet and books to teach you about different cultures. So there was vast differences between the way things uh, were done and it was it was very strange to be in a different land it was it was pretty big deal 
Okay, so for us personally, as Christians, as Jesus followers, when we believe the gospel, the gospel gives us a, a new land, you could say. Uh, he says, you are citizens of heaven once you become a believer. That is now your homeland. Uh, so he says that we become strangers and pilgrims on this planet. The whole planet becomes our... Um, now, it doesn't change your identity where you were born or where you may feel comfortable, uh, but as the gospel, it gives us a bigger, uh, more clear uh geography that we are from, the land that we are from, our homeland, you could say. Or the third thing that they ask him about is his race, his people, what what people group. This is the social aspect. They're asking, what community are you a part of? That's another part of who you are. It's real forming in your life, what kind of people you grew up with. And um, again, for us, you know, we could grow up in many different communities, even within the United States. There's there's a big, you know, land, country with a big community, but there's a lot of different, uh, you know, suburbs and, and urban areas and rural areas and all kinds of different ways that we could grow up with different communities with different values and, and different ways that we really, our identity is formed. And with the gospel, though, the gospel changes that and and gives us a new community, which is God's family or church, the church, God's people. We are united with the ones who have already died, and we're also united with the ones who are living here at the same time here on earth. So uh, that's the big thing that we're going to learn today and how we're going to apply the gospel to these three questions. All of these three questions add up to a really clear identity identity okay we don't have a lot of control over this uh do we you know they they for the most part they are chosen by god they come from god the place where you were born the community you're born into god placed you in a nation god placed you in a community god gives you a mission passions that you're passionate about but which god um that determines all three we know there is one god right but that was up for debate at this time in history. You see, many fallen angels were out there acting like gods for the people of earth. And many nations were formed around the spiritual entity that kind of ruled in that area of the world. And so these pagan sailors are trying to figure out what deity, which deity Jonah had offended in their minds who you were and what you worshipped were the exact same thing. Who you are and what you worshipped were the exact same thing. Okay, so there's our questions. We have occupation, where are you from, and people. These are our identity questions. We'll talk about those a little bit later. So back in this day, back in history, and throughout the vast majority of the history of the world, they were polytheistic. And so here's a little cartoon of a whole bunch of different gods, you could say, different expressions of different gods that they had in the world. And, and many nations or countries were, were united under serving a certain god. Uh, so you had Baal and, and Murdoch and, and Tammuz and 
all these different ones. And some nations had many, many gods that they worshipped. So in the ancient minds, gods were local. They, they, were, they, they didn't travel the whole world. You, you worship the god that rules in the place where you were born. You belong to that deity. And some of the angels, some of the fallen angels who were uh, doing these bad things, they, they actually started to engage with people and they started to talk with them and they started to uh, want to be worshipped and served. There's a whole psalm talking about how God was upset with these angels and God was going to judge them and going to eventually destroy these angels that were doing this. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that these angels were doing it. Uh, they're still doing it today, but uh, back in that day, your, your community, your group of people that you were involved with, they all worshipped the same God. And that God gave them their purpose for living. It could be sex, it could be wealth or power or love. And it depended on the God and what the God was, was communicating or teaching to the people, inspiring. These, these false angels would inspire their people to do either good or evil. And that is why it is such a big deal that God, the true God, took his people out of Egypt. He defeated all the gods of Egypt, you could say, and he drove out all the gods of the people who lived in Canaan. He defeated them. He went to war with the other gods and won. And for this reason, many people respected God, who was known by Yahweh was his name. And they knew about him by name. Yahweh, the, the God of the people of the Jews, is Yahweh, they would say. Even if they didn't know that they could leave their own God and serve him, they still respected him and they knew that he was a powerful God because they heard the stories of the things that he had done, especially in Egypt and in Canaan and things like Jericho. So ancient people linked you to your God. It was a very important link to them. It seems superstitious to our modern minds, but we are wrong yet again. You see, the same thing happens today. There are false gods. Uh, let's look at the god Mercury. Okay, Mercury was the god of commerce and money uh, back in the Greek times. And and if you go to Wall Street today, you will see his followers, people worshiping him. I've heard a story that there, there was uh, some very high-level uh, meetings going on in New York with upper-end technology companies. And there was uh, a debate going on about investing in uh, a new technology. But there were some very deep and grave concerns that this technology would not be good for people, that it would harm them, that it would harm children who would partake in it, and that it would uh, cost jobs and it would not be good for people. But every single person in this meeting with this merger and the, the decision to invest, every single person voted to do it because it was impossible to think that they could leave so much money on the table, even if it wasn't good for people. What does that show? That shows that their god was, was Mercury, was the god of 
commerce and money, wealth and riches. It is inconceivable to go against our God. If there's a buck to be made, we will vote for it, even if we're concerned about whether it's good or bad. Venus, the god of beauty and sexual fulfillment, just go to the mall or watch some commercials. There's her followers still there. Jupiter, the god of war, power, might. You can just go to the gym. You can just go to the army, check out some of his followers there. You and me are defined by what we worship. It is not who you are, it's whose you are. It's not who are you, it's whose are you. Who do you belong to? Jonah, he answers their questions by giving his race first. He says, I'm a Hebrew. And I think this is because it is his priority. As we've already studied, Jonah was very nationalistic. He was very Jewish. He loved his family. He loved his nation. It was a very big part of his identity. It's the most significant part of his identity. And he's very clear that that is the primary thing that he is. I am a Hebrew, he says. His faith wasn't nearly as fundamental to his identity as his race and his nationality. He tacked on his religion to his race. This is why Jonah was so opposed to going to another nation. Because his very identity forbade him from doing that. We do this today. Still, we can be shallow and American when it comes to our love for people that are different than us, for people that threaten the safety and security of our nation or our family, and we don't love them. We're showing that our race and our um, family and our nation is more a part of our identity than our faith and our obedience to God. You can be a Christian and, and believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and yet have your identity more in your career or your possessions or your political party than in the love of God through Christ. It just, it's a reality that we are seeing in our world Many people choosing politics over Christ, and it is, it is not to be so. You can be racist and materialistic or greedy and pleasure-seeking and still go to church and call yourself a believer. And this is what you can call self-blinding identity. I go to church, and that's a part of my identity. I believe in Jesus, and that's a part of my identity. But I have other parts that are bigger, other things in my life that are bigger. My views on race, my views on people, my views on, on politics, my views on nations. Jonah is 
super spiritual and respected prophet. That's his job, his calling, his gifting. Yet he's selfish, bigoted, racist, narrow, and mean. That is who Jonah is. Yet he's completely unaware of it all, it seems. And this reminds me of another character that we've studied, and we've studied pretty clearly. His name was Peter. Peter said he was strong. Peter said he was faithful, but he became a coward. When he was tested, he fell because he was blind to his real identity. His identity, listen, this is so important. His identity was in his own love for Jesus and not Jesus' love for him. I'll say it again because that's the crux of what we're talking about today. Peter's identity was in his own love for Jesus and not the love of Jesus for him. The results of, of this blindness, this false identity, is, is a couple things. Number one, pride is the inevitable result of a blind identity. It's hard to admit that we are weak because we have nothing left. Your identity must be in Christ to be able to admit your sins and failures. When you have pride, it is so hard to admit that you're weak. Because pride means, I am not weak. I'm strong. I can do this. And that says, I will not receive God's help. I don't want God's help. I don't need God's help. The second thing a blind identity will create is hostility for those who are against you or different from you. When Peter was confronted with some hostile soldiers, he drew his sword and cut off their ear. And he was obviously trying to slice their head in half, and he missed. That's not a loving, kind action. Peter was filled with wrath and hatred. He wanted them to die, those people who were coming against him, those wicked people, for sure. And you can say, well, he's justified. They were coming to take, you know, uh, Jesus and coming to take him away. And, and, And he's justified. We should defend ourselves, right? National defense and all the rest. And God says, you do not know my heart. I love my enemies. I sacrifice myself for my enemies, and I'm asking you as my child and my representative to do the exact same thing. Peter didn't get it because his identity was blind. He was blind to who he really was. Peter and Jonah are proud of their spiritual position. Peter, I'm a disciple. I'm an apostle. I don't even know what that word means, but I'm chosen. 
Jonah, I'm a prophet. And they were proud of that position. And that makes us, that blindness, that pride makes us hostile. Jonah treats pagans not just as different, but as other or exclusions. He has an excluding identity for other people. It's, we could call this othering. Those, he focuses on how different they are, how strange they are. And, and we can do this too. Just talk about how bad and how wrong cultures or people are until they are dehumanized. You know how they are, so I don't need to love them. You know how those people are. So I ignore them or I force them to conform to my practices or require them to live in a ghetto or drive them out of my world completely. Jonah needs the transforming grace of God and he does not like that. He doesn't want it. For the transforming grace of God will have to change his core identity. Instead of being a Hebrew first, he'll have to be a child of God, a representative of God, an image of God first. So let's go again through these questions just to summarize what we've learned today. The three questions the sailors asked Jonah is, what is your occupation? This means, what is your mission? What's your purpose? What's your meaning? What do you do? Why do you do what you do? Why are you alive and why are you here? Friends who are listening to me today, what is your purpose? I would love for you to write me this week and share, to, share with me what is your purpose? The gospel helps us so much. The gospel says our purpose in our heart should be to know God and to make him known. I would love to hear what your purpose is. Maybe what specific callings God has placed in your heart and in your life. Send me a message this week. I would love to hear from you. Second thing. They asked Jonah where he came from, what land, what geography he was from, what physical space did he feel comfortable? Was he American, Chinese, Haitian? <laughs> the gospel is our homeland. The gospel tells us, sorry, that heaven is our homeland. Heaven is our homeland. Are we afraid of dying? We shouldn't be. Going home is the greatest event that could ever happen. Our home is heaven. You haven't even seen it yet, but it is your homeland. It has been planted in your heart, in your soul. You are from heaven. That's what the gospel teaches us. That's what we get when we receive God's grace. 
the third thing that they asked Jonah was, what's your race? What's your people? This is the social aspect. What community are you a part of? And the gospel of Jesus Christ informs us that we have been adopted into God's own family. He has brought us from death to life, and we are not alone, but we are united together. And if anyone hurts, we all hurt. Again, I would love to know if there's anything going on in your life that we could come alongside and assist you with, pray for you, help you out. Um, the body of Christ is alive and united together as one organism, you could say. Even with those who have gone before us, who are in the homeland already. Ah, it is so wonderful to know our identity. We don't have to seek other people's approval. We don't have to seek a homeland. We don't have to seek for these things because we already have them. We already have a purpose and a mission. We already have a homeland and we already have a people. And there's so many people out there that don't have these three things and we can invite them in and God can give it to them. That's our message, guys. Be bold. Ask people who they are this week. Ask people what their mission is. Ask people what their homeland is. Ask people about their community. And when you get the sense that they don't really have those things, or that they are, are, there's something missing there, then freely offer them the invitation that Jesus gives that all who accept and believe on Christ will be adopted into his family and born again into the family of God. Well, that's our time today in Jonah chapter 1, verses uh, 7 through 10. We will continue on next week. You are loved, you are cherished, you're part of our family, and we are very thankful for each and every one of you. Father, I thank you for what Jesus has done. I thank you for the identity that he gives us. And I pray that we would all have a very clear understanding of what that identity is. In your name we pray. Amen.